customer service for a long time and still sometimes is now, unfortunately, viewed as just the necessary evil of doing business. You're the lowest rungs on the totem pole and you're not appreciated. And we've made so much progress getting that respect because we deserve it and we earn it daily. If you are a customer focused company, that translated into the market. That was huge. That's what people want. Welcome to the latest episode of the Startup Smoothie Podcast, where we blend together the best CX and operation strategies for startups. In today's episode, we're excited to chat with Lizzie Kuyper, the Director of Events at Support Driven. If you don't already know, Support Driven is an online community dedicated to providing assistance to professionals in customer support and success through mutual collaboration. Personally for me, Support Driven holds a very special place in my journey and has significantly impacted my professional life over recent years. So I was really excited to have this discussion with Lizzie as she sheds light on the community's internal mechanisms, its overarching mission, and the pivotal role of the community-centered events. We also go into the realm of support landscapes, the challenge of burnout, and the vital significance of cultivating diversity and inclusion within such communities like Support Driven. Customer is always right. It is a cutting edge, high tech firm out of the Midwest. Explain business ethics and how they are applied today. Ooh, that's a rough business to be in right now. <laughs> Cousin business is a boom. New technology permits us to do very exciting things. Righty. Lizzie is here. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thanks so much for coming on and talking support driven and event management and all the things support. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat today. So I'm just curious because I always ask this question whenever I meet other support driven folks. Mm -hmm. And obviously you're heavily involved in the community, but how did you hear about support driven originally? Yeah, I actually have a great answer. So I was leaving my first support job into a new support job where I was going to be a manager. And my manager, I think he's been on this podcast before, actually, Lance Consett. He was my manager that I was leaving and he had been a member of Support Driven. And he invited me when I started this new role in a new company as a manager of a team. He had found value in it and thought I would too. And little did he know it would end up like this eight years later, being such a huge part of my life. And so, yeah, I really credit him for being a great manager looking out and wanting to support me even when I wasn't working for him anymore. No, that's great. Lance is great, first of all. Uh, Second of all, that that kind of a similar story to how I found out about Support Driven, though, too. I had a manager. I was talking to them about how the support community is so underappreciated and everyone's just trying to go to product. And I'm like, I want to be in support, like, you know. Mm -hmm. And she told me about, she's like, oh, do you know about Support Driven? She's like, it's all support people that love being in support. You should join. And that's truly what it is. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that I really dove in there. And as someone that was building a team from scratch at the new company, it was so invaluable to me to have these other people who have solved the problems I'm trying to solve for the first time. And so it was just really great to have a soundboard of people who understood. And I was able to be like, well, I need to support this new product. And I don't know how to support this. Anyone put me in the right direction? And it was just super invaluable. No, it's been very key to the future of my role in support and where I've gone in life, to be honest, because there's certain problems at Zendesk I would have never gotten resolved if it wasn't for the support-driven community. I actually had somebody one time I posted an issue with Zendesk where you could send an outbound message and never put in a requester who was receiving the message, and Zendesk would never notify you that you sent that message into the void. And it's not like there's nothing native in Zendesk to turn that on. But somebody in support driven built me an app. That's amazing. 
Oh. Yeah, they built me an app to enable that feature. And I just was like, this is an amazing community. So I always tell that story because whenever I talk about just Zendesk as a community, because the, mm-hmm. the, the product, of, okay, we're not going to get too far into Zendesk, but <laughs> a lot of Zendesk, I really think it's so good because communities like support driven that really support the community endeavors. It's, it's so great. I call support driven really like it's helpers helping helpers. Like we are just down to help each other. And I love that story that someone was like, you know, I think I have enough developer knowledge that I could build an add on app here and it solved your problem. They're just like, hey, I could fix that. Like we are a group of people that get a lot of purpose out of helping each other. Mm-hmm. help others. And I think there's a lot of really good meaning found within those interactions. The Jedi are selfless. They only care about others. Oh, for sure. I mean, I- I'm forever grateful for them and I have so much respect for that individual. Right. Um, it's so just, real. It's, it's incredible. Okay, so how do you go from being a member to now being a employee of Support Driven? Yeah, it is something that it's two parts of my life that I thought were very separate converged (laughs) into one. So it started with I got laid off in 2022 from a job I had for seven years. I loved it and was very tied to it, but had definitely burned myself out and really found myself in the summer over a year ago now, really just kind of figuring out what I wanted to do next. What problems do I want to go solve? What type of organization do I want to be in? Because I've only been small companies so far. Did I want to go to a big one? Soul searching of like, what even do I want? But also, can I just go take a nap for three months? Like, what do I want to do? Really, I have found with myself that I have been very lucky in that most of the jobs I have had have been very connected to the problems of the user and what I want to help them solve. I have been more lucky than most and that I've been able to work at really good places that are mission driven. But that also leads to burnout because you care so much and it becomes such a part of your identity. But I posted that I had been laid off. I was really looking to have conversations and Scott Tran, the founder of Sport Driven, he reached out to me and was like, hey, let's chat. I want to see how I can help you. You know, I've been a member of the community. I've been to, you know, some of the previous events. So we knew each other just through the community and he just reached out as a friend and it was really, really kind and just wanted to see what do you want to do next? Can I make any intros for you? And mm-hmm. that really speaks to the heart of support driven. Just really, we are all here to help each other and however we can do that. And we ended up having a two hour conversation that went all over the place for all different types of things. And by the end of it, he said, wait a minute, you have events experience? I said, I do. I do have events experience. And he said, can I pitch you on an idea? And then we, you know, we talked through that. My events experience that I have had is I have, for over a decade, worked with fandom conferences. But these are small fan events. So I was part of a group of people on the internet just being nerds who really wanted to meet (laughs) up and hang out and celebrate So Scott, he's like, we really want to restart our events, support driven, you know, had events and up to 2019. And then for the pandemic canceled for 2020 and 21. And they had just come off of doing their first event back in 2022 in Portland. And they've been really been looking for months for someone that was available and interested and really understood what doing an event for a community like this was, you know, we're all learning from each other type of event. There's all different types of events and all different people and personalities are attracted to them. It really came to that where Scott looked at me and said, hey, would you consider joining the company? You'd be the only other employee. Like you'd be joining me. We do have some freelancers that do different pieces. And, you know, we have some contractors that help out with certain projects and things. But he was like, would you consider it? And I will tell you, I was terrified. I was so scared. Yeah. I took a week to think about it because I really wasn't sure. 
Because in my head, I was like, I'm doing tech, I'm doing product, I'm doing some avenue within there, but nothing was quite fitting. And I realized I was scared for two reasons. One, support driven was my community, was my home. I had this irrational fear that if I mess this up, I'm going to lose my safety net because I knew that support driven was a community that I know would be there for me through whatever I needed. If I like mess this up somehow, I'm going to lose it. I voiced that to a friend of mine and she looked at me and she was like, what are you going to do? she's like there's nothing that you would do because of who you are that would actually do that so like tell that irrational fear to just go away and you're fine and then the other one was that it was just this is such a different thing than anything I've been doing like I have just been running a support team for like over five years like this I've just been in the support world can I can I go back to events like do I do I even know enough to do this I was really starting over, but I sat with it and I realized that it's the perfect combination of both of my careers and the things that I have been doing. My fandom events that you just do because you care about it and you want to create this amazing space for everyone. And then support, which I found a lot of purpose in and value and especially the fighting for it to be respected and how much of an impact it can have across the company and working with a group of people and like being a part of the sports community where people care about that. And it is something you should be proud of. You should be proud of this and the work you do and this invisible work. Like, let's surface this. I think for me, it's such an honor to be able to serve a community of people like the support driven community and create the space that will help them. And that's really echoed in the work I was doing with my fandom conferences. You know, we created a space that people felt like they belonged in for the first time because nerds, usually the, the misfits, the outcasts. Not anymore, thankfully. It's a lot better. Gen Z are way better about this. But if you always feel like you're different from others, but you finally go to this place once a year where all your friends go and suddenly everyone is welcoming and you are immediately, you're part of the in crowd, you're immediately included. That's really cool. And it's life changing. And I thought that time was over for me. And I think being able to bring that foundation to a community that is that way as well, but in a professional way, it's different, but very complimentary. And it's something that I, I feel really lucky to get to do. Honestly, just listening to you talk. Yeah, that's that has to be incredibly fulfilling. What I said earlier, uh, I felt very like, uh, am I doing something wrong by wanting to just stay in support? And uh, yeah. now I, I guess that's what I was trying to say earlier is that I feel more than ever I have this conviction of, yes, I'm where I'm supposed to be because I'm constantly seeing this reinforcement from other people. So it reassures me that like, yeah, it's, it's not a bad thing to want to help people and yes. to make that your focus. But so many things that you touched on that I want to talk about and first is burnout because I'm sure you have a really good measure for yourself of when you're kind of approaching that. But I think about just people that do community management often. One of my best friends is a Reddit moderator. Not the same, but kind of. Um, <laughs> that's, I, I would almost say that's more intense. Maybe we ought to take turns on watch tonight, Charlie Brown. Part of your job, though, and I think it correlates back to support where you kind of always have to be like a cheery face, but you even Mm -hmm. more so have to be a cheery face for the cheery faces. So it's like, is that what is that like? Because like, I get the message. (laughs) You I mean, you constantly have to be on, I'm sure. Or do you just not respond to Slack messages sometimes or something? No, I I love this question. So that is something that I really worked with Scott on when I first started. I was like, what is the expectation? Because I know for myself, 
it could turn into a 24-7, I'm never offline, always checking the community situation. You know, one of the career paths I was looking at before support was social media marketing. And I burned out really quickly on that because I was literally never offline because what I did for fun was also social media talking to my friends. And so it was just like not a good situation. And then I ended up in support and I was like, oh, so I can work in tech, but I can have a specific role and then I'm done. Burnout for me, definitely, I still struggle. And I think it's something that I will always struggle with because as the helpers, we get so much from helping that we very easily overextend ourselves because it feels good to help others and you just keep going and going and going and suddenly whatever metaphor you want, like your cup is empty. You are done. And sometimes you just go until you hit that wall and you have to hit that wall a couple times before you actually can start spotting the signs. And so it was really working out with Scott and actually me figuring out as well, coming from a fairly toxic environment where there were meetings all day, every day. I was constantly just having to get all my work done and my schedule was just so controlled for me that I went to working with him and it's just like, (laughs) I have complete autonomy and I can do whatever, like as long as I get my job done, I just like do the thing. Oh, okay, I can just decide when to work and we can set certain like meeting cadences. But like you go from a 40 person company with various different things that you always have to manage to something that's actually very healthy. And then you suddenly are like, I I don't know what to I don't know how to function within this healthy environment. And so and frankly, it was therapy. It was going to therapy when I got laid off. I was like, oh, I tied too much of my own self-worth into what I do. Been there, done that. And I bought into the myth that you could make yourself unlayoffable if you just worked hard enough. I was doing the job with three people when I was laid off. Like the company was hurt like bad for months and yet they're still existing now. And they survived and they laid me off. And like reckoning with the fact that I bought into the myth that if I just at the cost of myself work harder, make myself more and more valuable. They can't possibly let me go. Yeah. And then the like earth shattering moment of when that happens anyway and recognizing that and trying to figure out where is my foundation for like what we should do. And it took a long time. For the community manager, work-life balance is very important in that Scott and I are very empowered with each other and with the community that we're not always online. On most weekdays, we're on. But on the weekends, the expectation is not that we're on and working. You know, you you have families, you have appointments. Just figure out when it works for you and what makes sense and what meetings are we going to have and are we going to talk to the community? And the priority is really always engaging with the community in meaningful ways. And there are sometimes things that, you know, we have to handle urgently, but I had viewed Slack at my previous role as something that was like urgent right now, always has to like, you have to get back to blah. Yes. If you don't complete the assignment, you'll get a zero for the day. No, like that's not the case here because the community is based in Slack. There's always going to be something. Right. Like getting to everything being unread is not always sustainable. I think it also one of the things about the community that's great for that is that we span worldwide time zones. So there isn't an expectation that everything is immediate. I mean, if you're in the middle of a conversation with someone, like, don't ghost them. (laughs) Right. There are two possibilities. They're unable to respond. They're unwilling to respond. So you talked 
about facilitating connections, meaningful connections mm-hmm. on community members. What kind of like is the strategy there? Because the community is at the forefront and I imagine as it grows, it's got to be like super rewarding. But then also at the same point, I feel like it can be information overload. As you said, like almost every day I'm on the West Coast. When I log into Slack, every single channel is highlighted. I have learned it's okay if the little gray dot on support driven is there. I'm never going to be able to, you know, zero it out. That's fine. How do you facilitate community engagement when there's so much information there? And what tips do you have for future or current members participating in the community? So engaging with the community, as you said, it can be really overwhelming if there's all these notifications, there's all these things. What I recommend is exploring the channel options. And so like chit chat is always going to be there. That's where the Mm -hmm. like wide announcements. But I would say majority of my conversations are happening in the smaller channels, which are either, you know, topic specific like the Zendesk channel. So that's people who are working within Zendesk and have questions for each other and want to help each other out. You know, those are really, really incredibly valuable parts of support driven. They're like little mini communities within the larger community. And that's where I have found the best engagement. So leadership was really awesome. But then even just the the fun ones like silly or vent or good news. Highly recommend vent. Yes, it's so good because sometimes you just, you know, sometimes you just need to you just need to let it off your chest with people who understand the trouble, the struggles of, of support people. There's um, been times where I've had to check if certain people are in before I can change. Yes, that's so real. No, I'm sorry. Um, no, you're good. That's absolutely it. And so it's very like pick a couple channels that you want to spend your effort on mm-hmm. and start in there. The best way is to ask questions, but to respond to questions. And then as you interact, you will see questions that you tend to answer and yeah. that you feel comfortable with. And you'll learn, oh, hey, I do know about this. Like, oh, hey, I can help other people out with that. And one of the things that we've been doing in the different subject channels, like we have support operations, we have customer experience, we have AI now, we have all these different channels and what we've started to do with those to kind of increase engagement because Slack is asynchronous. It can be synchronous. if People are like really having a lively discussion, but anyone can chime in at any point in there as long as not 90 days, <laughs> which, you know, clears out the clears out the history. But the strategy that we're working on this year is dramatically increasing the number of monthly online events we do. So monthly webinars, chances for people to gather and connect face-to-face, although virtually with someone else that cares about the same thing. So self-service, knowledge management, support operations. We are surfacing hosts and moderators from those channels, from the community to come on and just talk about a topic they care about. And the people who attend can pop in and ask questions on camera and have a real discussion, throw them in the chat and do those things. And so we're really trying to create those moments. While, you know, it could be that only four to five people attend that. But that's four to five people that have an actual face-to-face connection with a person that's only been a screen name. Or maybe they've never had a conversation because they've just been lurking. They've been intimidated. They've been scared because we are a huge community. And I I get scary sometimes to like actually put yourself out there and jump in, even though we're a very friendly bunch. It's still it's still scary. And so sometimes attending a webinar and seeing some conversations, you're like, oh, hey, maybe maybe I will reach out and ask that person a follow up question because they said they were open to them and to do that. But it's really foundationally, if one person gets a meaningful interaction, a meaningful connection with someone else in the community, it is worth doing. And that is foundational. So we're not trying to be the ones that have 500 people in our webinars. Like that's not the point. And that's, that's, you know, there are people who do that and that's great. And that's their thing. And that's how it works. And it's awesome. 
-hmm. Ours are how can we make it meaningful, whatever size it is. Obviously, the fact that a Slack channel that has 5,000 people in it is not going to have 5,000 people show up to a webinar. Like that's just like, that's not how the internet works. And so creating those moments where we have that each month. So it's part of like the attendee experience of being able to join and like actually like, oh, hey, I can learn something and talk about it and like get involved that way. We want to give the community members a chance to share what they know. Because we all are better when we're learning from each other. And that's something that the in-person events, foundationally, like we don't have professional speakers up there. It's all practitioners who have done the work or done the thing or lived through the thing they're talking about and they're sharing their learnings. And that is, it's like, okay, well, we only have so many events. Not everyone can travel places. How can we make it to be more accessible and more inclusive? Well, having both. And so one of the ways we're trying this year is doing that and doing different types as well. We'll have roundtables that have breakout rooms with different topics sometimes. We'll have fireside chats. We'll have panels. And we have different formats for what types of conversations people want to have, but it's very much an effort to recruit within the community to create these moments of learning with each other. But it's something that also, you know, I know for me, I was able to do a webinar when I was just a member with Support Driven back into 2019. Mm-hmm. And that was huge. I, I was able to put that on my LinkedIn profile and be like, hey, right. I had this discussion. I talked about this. This is this is the recording for it. This is what I was able to do. And I was asked to do this. And so we wanted to create more moments like that so that we can surface more voices and learn together beyond just in text and, and gifts. <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah. So we're, we're trying that out this year and it's going well, but we're always trying different times, different days, different whatever, because so many people have pivoted to virtual things that there is a lot of like, you know, competition for calendar space out there. But oh that's God. why yes. I know. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so real. Um, and so that's why we focused on making it like topic channel connection. We're going to do this here. But right. if you sign up, you get a recording. Like we always have that. I know the street. And I'm making all the right connections. I was relating to what you said about diversity and inclusion, because on this podcast, I have a hard time, uh, one, finding women and particularly people of color to come on and talk to me about anything. I'm like, anything. Maybe this is something I'm noticing and it doesn't translate at all to event speaking. But do you find that you struggle with that? Because... And I might cut this, but, you know, it's really easy to get a bunch of white men to come on this podcast. Yeah, that that's real. I feel like there are a couple factors and I do think it relates psychologically to something that we talked about a few years ago in the tech industry specifically of revamping job descriptions that like women will self-select out of the process if they don't meet 100% of their requirements. But white men, like if they meet 20% immediately apply and it's because of the difference in social conditioning and confidence level. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of research around it. So I'm going to badly paraphrase this, but I think where women are socially conditioned to make themselves less than And we are actively in a movement and have been in a movement for a very long time now, but we still have a lot of work to do of being like, no, what you have is worth speaking about. You have a valuable viewpoint that people should hear. Right. I think in the support industry, a lot of us 
not everyone, because it's not everyone, but a lot of us are egoless, very humble people. We just want to help. And it's that bias that people have. Like If it comes easily to you, it's less valuable than something that comes hard to you to do. And so there's, uh, I can't think of the quote for this, of where to attribute this to, but it's something that I, I remember reading of like, you discount what you're good at, but if you see someone doing something that it's just harder for you. You're like, whoa, they are smart. They are so good at that. And it's this weird bias we have that if like, oh, something comes easy to you, then it must be easy for everyone, which is an incorrect assumption because everyone has different skills and interests and abilities and everyone's brains are different and everyone thinks differently and functions differently. But we have this bias. I feel like it's like just a humanity thing. Yeah. Of what comes easily to you is just must be easy for everyone. And therefore, it's not valuable. That just healed something in me. I really don't know. It's just. It's something that I had a moment when I started in support at my first job. Lance and I were teammates at the time. He wasn't my boss yet. And we got to go to a conference and it was amazing. And I remember sitting there in the audience, listening to all the talks and just being like, this is the greatest thing. Oh, my God. I'm like, I've like found my support people, which is just like my conferences I do for fun. And this is amazing. And I was like, I actually really want to do this. Like, I really like this job. This could be a career for me. But I had a moment where some of the talks that were being given were things that I knew and I had thought about and was either doing already. And I went, wait a minute, am I? Am I am I like good at this? Like, could this be something that I'm actually uniquely good at doing this? And my brain works in a way that could make me really good. And I could make like a really great impact somewhere on a customer support team. I'm really aligned with what's being spoken here. It was a huge moment where I was like, wait a minute. I'm good at my job. And this is something that everyone up here is teaching me something where I can even I can be even better. And it's good to take pride in this. Like I should Mm -hmm. take pride in this work and what I'm doing. And that was life changing for me because I'd had customer service roles, you know, like Best Buy and Apple. Like it was like different, like Apple was life changing because they had it figured out early, thankfully. But customer service for a long time and still sometimes is now, unfortunately, viewed as like the necessary evil of doing business. And you're the lowest rungs on the totem pole and you're not appreciated. And we've made so much progress of getting that respect because we deserve it and we earn it daily. If you are a customer focused company that translated into the market, that was huge. That's what people want. It was a light bulb moment for me where I realized I had been subconsciously undervaluing the things that made me good at my job because they seemed obvious or easy to me, but Mm -hmm. those were actually my strengths in this role and in this job. And that's when I was like, okay, I can do this. But that also ignited a curiosity of, wait a minute, how does that happen? Why, why was there such that disconnect? And so like, I've definitely been for the decades since then, I've been looking for like the books or the thoughts or the TED talks or the whatever about this human experience. And what I really found is from that dichotomy of things is really that there's this bias against easy. That like valuable things must be hard to do and is just not true. Yeah. Well, I think too. It could be. I mean, like some like, I don't think 
there are valuable things that are hard to do. I'm not saying like no, I don't I, would, no. I don't want to be like you oh know, no 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 yeah no but. that's I mean uh, I don't think we wouldn't make that assumption. I think what can contribute to like support specifically is how for the longest time it's been so so undervalued, and I do think there's been a huge pivot, and there it does require a lot more technical skills. There's a lot of data. There's a lot of strategy. There's a lot to continuously improve. And um, also, like, having empathy is a true skill. <laughs> it is. Like, the the soft skills. It turns out soft versus hard. Soft is really, really important. And discernment and being able to read something and realize that what they need is literally not what they said, but they mean something else. And then being able to deliver that to them, that's powerful. And if you have that person on your team, that person's invaluable. And that is a skill that you learn and you hone. It's something that is so important. And empathy is just caring. People just want to be heard. Fundamentally, people yeah. want to be heard in whatever they are doing. And that's what matters. To get back to your actual question of something <laughs> diversity. Sorry. Yeah, um, no, you're fine. So one of the things that I really wanted to focus on and has always been a focus of Support Driven is that the events are for the community. Hands down, it's a space for, to bring the online community together in person. So we want that to be representative of the community. But there are a lot of factors in there. One of the things we started doing this year that I definitely want to do more of is holding speaker workshops where we, we hosted like, hey, do you fall into one of these camps? Do you think you maybe want to speak somewhere, but you don't really know what to talk about? about? Or do you have a couple topics, but you're not really sure what's actually going to, you know, resonate, what you should spend time writing a proposal for? Or have you just never thought about speaking, but this came up and you're just like, is this a thing I could do? And especially because we want to encourage first time people. And so one of the biggest things that we have learned is that people need to feel supported through this process because a lot of diverse voices have been told for a very, very long time that they do not matter, their opinions do not matter, and they should not take up any space. There is a giant uphill battle on that. And you see quite a few people who have broken through that and become thought leaders. But the tech industry is still very much, you know, straight white man driven. Like it's really, you know, cis white man. And it's because they've historically had the privilege to to do that. Like it's the startup people that are funded and people hire people that look like them. And that's why we've had this huge initiative for years and years of diversity and representation and inclusion. It matters. We need to like invest in this. And we're seeing a lot of movement there. But what we have found is trying to find people. There's a confidence gap where it's you feel like you have to convince people like, no, I, you, I actually really want to hear from you. Like you have a story to tell. Yeah. And that's more time consuming, but it's worth it to do that. Yeah. And it's creating the spaces. Scott and I spend one-on-one -on -one time with people being like, hey, have you thought about speaking? One of the things that we try to do is if they're in the community and they're having a conversation and we see it and we're like, hold on, that would be such a good talk or such a good workshop. We take the time to reach out and say, hey, would you consider this? And that's really where we found the online events for the community. It's easier because you can do it faster. It's not like, hey, in six months, I have an in-person event. Would you do the thing? Or, hey, I have a spot next month. Would you want to, like, have a discussion about this? So we're able to turn that around faster so that they do it. And then they're like, this is awesome. I've actually done the thing now. I want to do more. And like that's to be able to foster first time speakers and people who are typically the people not given the microphone or not given the ability to share their perspective. Some of the key prompts I have are what is a challenge that you've gone through that you're really proud of how you handled and we'll find a story in there that's worth it.
And even if a topic has been talked about over and over and over again, every single person has their own unique take and an experience that they have gone on and done that. And it's just reminding people that, hey, your story matters. There's something we can learn through this. So one of the things we do for the in-person events is we have a talk development program where we have talk editors. This is something that existed before me at Support Driven, but for our smaller conference where we have 10 or fewer speakers, every single one of them gets an editor that works with them. So it's someone to help them develop their talk, their slides, what they're going to do. They have a buddy that will help them do it. At Expo, we sometimes have 80 to 100 sessions. So we don't necessarily have enough talk editors, but we do recruitment for it. And ideally, everyone who wants one gets one. And we prioritize people who haven't spoken before to be able to get one. And having that buddy, I have heard from even someone who, who just presented at our event in Philadelphia in April, they've done speeches for a long time. It was our senior leadership. It's been like part of their job. They had to like present to the company and the board and they worked for a larger company. So they were used to putting things together, but they found huge value in working with a talk editor because the talk editor is from the community. This is the first time they were going to be speaking to the support driven community and not executives. It's a very different audience. It's a much friendlier audience. You can be much more casual about it, but it's an audience that's hungry to learn and wants to learn from you. Like the audience wants you to do amazing at, at your talk. If you're giving a talk or a workshop, that audience is here for it because it's the community comes to life. It's us. We're generally just here. And it's like, I just want to hear from you, please. And I want to learn and I want to talk about it and I want to nerd out about the thing. But additional support has been very, very key that we have found for being successful. And also from that, people then tell each other and share like, hey, you should totally apply to speak here because they help you do it. They help you do the thing, especially if you're new at it. Sourcing and trying to find diverse people. One of the best things, I have a specific example of this. Alice, a leader at Grinder, especially in the trust and safety space. She's been a long time community member. And we were putting together a senior leadership panel virtually in January early this year to talk about what are we thinking about for 2023? What are we looking at? How are we planning as senior leaders? What are we doing with the, the economy, especially in January? And what are we doing? And so we, I reached out to her. I was like, hey, would you be interested in doing it? And she did the best thing I have ever seen a white woman do. She said, hey, you know what? I have someone else on my team, one of her direct reports. His name is Trav. He actually runs the support team. And she's like, I would love to introduce you and see if you'd be open to having him on the panel instead. And, yeah. you know, and he's a person of color. He's a queer person of color. And that right there, I was like, thank you. Thank you so much. She actually made a post about this after it happened, which is also why I feel comfortable talking about it. But mm -hmm. she did that. And my only response to that that made any sense was absolutely, yes, thank you so much for giving me the name. And so I can yeah. talk to them and give them a platform. Trav then came and was a panelist at our April event in Leadership Summit. And he was able to come and be at the event itself and share. And it was wonderful. And he added so much to the discussion. And that's important. And it really was that allyship was so huge because they're the bigger names that have been around for longer that are getting talked about that are, you know, always getting the invites. Right. If you take a minute to lift your people up to that, that's huge. As a conference organizer who really wants to do better, but then I look at 
you know, the results LinkedIn is showing me to find people and it's all white guys, like I need help. So it's me reaching out also to look at the different organizations that exist out there to try to open my pool of people and also talk to the community as well and see, you know, what we're able to do. But that that right there, what Alice did, I really think that the people who are always getting the requests that may be overrepresented, that is a very meaningful way that they can lift up the diverse voices and give them a platform. And it's really just trying to foster communication in here. Like I did specific speaker workshops for our women's channel in support driven. I reached out in there and I said, hey, where are the women? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I really, I really want to make sure that we have more representation. I'm going to hold this open workshop. I'm also available one-on-one to whoever wants it. Here's my calendar link, book it. Right. I want to help you tell your story because I know people in here have things that are valuable to share. And I had a couple of people do that and submit proposals and they're coming to Expo and that's what it is. But it's really, it's very hard to do at scale. It's very much the one-to-one interactions, but those are what matter. And if those are well, then then it's word of mouth. I mean, just as support-driven spreads. Support-driven right. only exists. Like we don't have a marketing budget that like puts us all over billboards and like all the socials. Like that doesn't happen. It's word of mouth is why this community exists exist. And the partners that we have with different companies that, you know, we do things together and we help people learn about each other. And that's it. It's really, it's all about, hey, bring bring people in. The growth of Support Driven is just so awe-inspiring and it's it's just fascinating how it has evolved so organically. I mean, how many members do you guys currently have? Uh, let's see. We are at um, 13,500. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, I have a just a quick question because I I was just curious. But how do you pick your city? I am sorry. That's like the most boring question. But I'm just curious because sometimes I'll see a city and I'm like, why Atlanta? Why Philadelphia? Like, I don't know. So I just was curious. What strategy is there? Yeah, I love this question. Thank you. This is such a nerdy event planning question. This is great. So there is not a crystal ball that tells me where it should go. It's a couple of different factors. Leadership Summit is single track, single room, so it's easier to move around. The strategy, when I started last year, I really sat down and I said, I really want an East Coast and a West Coast. I want to do them twice a year, an East Coast one and a West Coast one, because travel costs are astronomical depending on where you're coming from. I love Portland. I would love to always be in Portland, but I'm based in Nashville, Tennessee, and it costs a lot of money and one to two connections to get to Portland because there's just not a nonstop direct anywhere. And so for the spring of this year, we wanted to be on the East Coast and we wanted to be in the Northeastern Corridor in New York or Philadelphia or Boston. Like we wanted to be somewhere where like train. Trains, driving, flying would be easier to get to. People could still fly to it if they wanted to easily as well. But I looked at places really seriously. The final two places we had was one in New York and one in Philadelphia. And the Philadelphia one, I'd always wanted to go to Philadelphia. And I liked the venue of Philadelphia. Also, New York is extremely expensive to do anything in. And so budget is a factor of what we're able to do since we're a free community. So. Personally, I think Philly is way. I've I've lived in Philly and I've lived in New York and I love New York and I love Philly, but I'd rather go to a event in Philly. To be- <laughs> but all things being equal, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. Yes. 
I loved Philly. After the event, I nerded out and went to all the history stuff. I did like the history block as it is all town. But it's a couple things. So what we've started doing also is in our event survey, we ask people where they're coming from, which we didn't do before because we have people that come from all over the world, like Australia, Europe, the Asian quarter, all of it to come to where whatever we're doing because it's the only option for them. And like they thankfully have a company that will support it or they do it themselves. So we have people that come from everywhere, but majority is U.S. And and so I really wanted to do Leadership Summit on both sides. So we, so we did Philadelphia this year in April, and now we're doing Oakland in November. And that was really just looking to see like where we wanted to go. I looked at, we looked at San Diego, we looked at Portland, we looked at Seattle, we looked at a bunch of places. And I just found this really, really great venue that I'm so excited to work with that is person of color owned, co-working space that has really great event spaces and just really, really would mesh with the community really well. And it's in the Oakland area, which people love. I haven't been to Oakland in ages, so I'm excited to go. Lots of food and stuff is around it. It's just really fun and is in the Bay Area. So like a lot of tech companies, if they still live there, it's easy for them to get to. Right. So that's Summit. It's easier to move around because we just need a single stage. The space needs are smaller. For Expo, we need multiple programming rooms. We need room for vendor tables. There's a variety of things that we need in there. But the biggest thing is that we need multiple programming rooms so that we can have multiple tracks. It's not a single track, single stage situation. And so that I inherited the location. So when I started last year, Expo was already in motion. I jumped in and finished it. And that's at UNLV in Vegas. So it's at a college. What they have found historically with Expo before my time as part of Support Driven, but just as a member, they did Expo a few times and they had the best results doing it at different colleges because colleges have meeting spaces. And if you do it in certain parts of the year, you can find really great spaces that are affordable versus giant convention centers that are so expensive. And we don't have an enormous budget because we're a small free community. You know, we had a good experience at Vegas. We're doing it again in Vegas at UNLV. It's an airport that most places can fly into fairly yeah. easily. But I'm definitely open to looking at different places. I think I definitely want to do something in Chicago at some point. But, you know, I, try, I want to try to hit different areas of the country. You should do Phoenix in February. Oh, look at that. Yeah, you really should because, sorry, I live in Phoenix. I didn't know if I knew that, but uh, hello. Yeah, no, but Phoenix in February, it is so nice compared to the rest of the country. Like that's the one month that we really like, everyone's freezing and then it's a nice like 60 degrees over here and it's just beautiful and the sunsets. Anyways, okay. No, it's great. I'll add it to the list because I definitely want to keep doing the summits in both. Expo will be once a year for now. And then we would love to bring back the European Expo. They've done one European Expo before my time and it was great. And we put out an interest survey earlier this year and people are super interested. I just hope that the economy will turn around a bit so that we can do that because mm -hmm. like the undertaking of Scott and I both being based in the U.S., we are already planning events in cities other than the ones we live in. And right. So there's a lot of nuances there. One of the key things I look at when I'm considering a venue is how responsive and helpful are the reps or the people that I'm going to be working with from afar in all of this. So that relationship is really important. And then, yeah, and then it's just, you know, what places make sense. But we got a lot of really great information and details from our European community. So I really hope we're able to bring that back in the next couple of years. And so it's a whole nother set of like, where do we have it? Because they're all different countries. It's not states. It's all countries. Right. And, you know, not, not to sound like the very American of me.
Um, but it's definitely complicated. But it's really I'm trying to get smarter about using you know the demographic data that we have to hopefully gather us in the places where most people can get to. And that's why I think it's important to move around. While from an event planning standpoint, if we were in the same place every time, that would be amazing because it would cut down on so much of the work. But I think there's such value in being able to explore somewhere new, be more accessible to people who maybe weren't accessible before. So, yeah, that's fine. You guys work so hard and there's really such a variety of events through Support Driven. So can you just go ahead and break down your upcoming events, who they're for, what people will get out of them and what they can expect? We have two events coming up this fall. The first one is the Support Driven Expo. That's going to be in Las Vegas on October 9th and 10th. That has eight tracks of different programming for all levels of support people. So from beginner, intermediate, expert, your manager, your manager that can bring your whole team. We have knowledge management, support operations, AI, support engineering, all types of really great content across all tracks. Your single ticket gets you access to all the content and all the things. You can mix and match and choose your own adventure at the event because you can attend across all tracks. And yeah, that is in October. Our last event of the year uh, in person will be our Leadership Summit in Oakland, California. That is November 14th and 15th. That is for senior leaders, heads of support, the people who are really at the top having to make these huge decisions and answer to the C-suite, or maybe you're on the C-suite and having to answer to your cohorts, but it's really lonely at the top. And so we wanted to create a space where you can come and meet fellow senior leaders and really have meaningful conversations to dive into the things that you are handling that are really tough and meaty. And so that is a single track conference. It's two days, a mixture of talks, panels, and group work where you really dig in and work in small groups with each other around certain things you're going on and challenges. I have personally designed a spectacular schedule of events. Before we go, can you share any plans or visions you have for the future of Support Driven or any exciting developments that community members can look forward to? Really, Scott and I want to create more meaningful ways that the community members can contribute to the community itself. Fundamentally, the conversations had within the community in Slack of people helping each other and getting to know each other, that will always be the foundation of the community. But there are ways that we can make being part of the community better and more engaging and different ways that we can engage people. We're working on bringing back the Aspire Mentor Program. So we have people that are able to be mentors and mentees and like actually have that real true career development. And so one of the things we're doing is we're really wanting to work with the community to find ways to make being a part of the community more rewarding and engaging. And But we definitely want to keep doing in-person events and online events and see what other programs we can do to grow but stay tuned and we're always open to ideas and we have so many ideas but there's only so many hours in the day (laughs) and we want to be better about sharing those ideas and also enabling people to organize on those ideas and make them happen for the community in different ways i love that that was really great thanks lizzie again for coming on and this was a great episode and it was nice to kind of hear about the inner workings of support driven and all that goes into like running this i mean (laughs) scott has done a lot of great stuff and i think one of the things that i really appreciate is just the nature of just fostering collaboration and Mm -hmm. that is something that we want to get better at and more deliberate with and and really make sure that everything we're doing is not only for the community but with the community and i think so far we've been doing that but 
I want to do more, but yet don't want to burn myself out. So you got to learn to ask for help and how to do that. And thankfully, we have a really, really amazing community. And I'm so glad I met you through it. And (laughs) I I mean, you helped. I mean, you helped us with with Expo last year with the Zendesk track, which I don't think we have we haven't even mentioned yet. But fun fact, Devin helped us out and she was so helpful as I was coming on board and being like, hi, I'm not a Zendesk user. I don't know anything about this. Help me figure out which sessions work. And you were so helpful. And I so appreciate that. And so that's one of the ways that community members are involved. I have a track team again for this year for the different tracks that we have of the people who are actually doing the support operations or working in AI or working in knowledge management to tell me what should we talk about? Because Scott and I, we don't know everything. We want the community to surface what they care about and what they want to know, what they want to talk about and what would be beneficial and useful to them. We can make assumptions, but that doesn't work. And so that's one of the ways that we we work with the community is, you know, that everything we do is planned with the community itself too. Oh, a hundred percent. I can't say anything to Scott without him asking 500 questions. No shade to Scott. Love you, Scott. <laughs> but yes, uh, yes. I'm just like, yeah, you know, I just like to do this and support driven. He's like, well, what, what's stopping you from engaging more? How can we facilitate more engagement? What? Like, I'm just like, yes. Well, it's, it's, he, it's you could tell he really cares, though. I'm just really constantly on thinking about how do we do more? How do we do more? How do we do more? I love that. No, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. And yeah, I'm, you know, I'm always here. I'm so glad we were able to connect. And this was such a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, no, I had a great time. We're going to have a good time. Always. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Startup Smoothie Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. By subscribing, you'll never miss an episode, but it also helps us reach a wider audience. And if you've already subscribed, thank you. We really appreciate your continued support. Take care, and we'll catch you on the next episode.